0: Well, good morning, church. It's good to be with you again on this Lord's Day as we're together. Let me encourage you with a few things, and that is that even while we're sheltered in place and isolated, ministry is going on. Let me mention a few things. Last week, our children's ministry had a packet giveaway for devotions and materials for families. Families came through, and from a social distance, packets were given them as Steve Tuck and his band Uh, blasted cars with water hose and had a water fight. We have uh, our junior high in Bible studies. We have our senior high in Bible studies, as they are being called, and getting together in Zoom conferences. Campus outreach, our college ministry, has ongoing discipleship because of Zoom and the Internet. Thank God for the Internet at this time. We're having a local ministry outreach. We're, ta- we're taking food to various parts of this city to those who need food and refreshment in our local missions ministry. So things are going on. So thank you for praying. Thank you for financially continuing to support the ministries of this church. We're able to fly a few missionary families home who needed to be home at this time because of your generosity. So thank you for doing that. We're in the book of 1 Peter talking about resurrection realities. And In 1 Peter chapter 1, the scripture says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who because of his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away Reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor. At the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, in in this passage, Peter, writing to the first century church, talks about the great mercy of the living God, which has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. The hope is that God is in control and heaven awaits. And he says, Because of this living hope, there's another reality, and that is we have received an inheritance that is indestructible. And we saw last week that the down payment or the earnest of that inheritance was the pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon the church. So we have an inheritance now, but we have a vast, vast, vast inheritance when we get to heaven. And then he says this, in this you greatly rejoice. And this seems to be a break as Peter takes a side road and he talks about trials and sufferings. He says, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now... For a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. And then the word for trials there means multifaceted pain, suffering, hardships that befall us. It's on a scale, here to here. It's just multifaceted trials. And, and so he takes this side road, and, and, and I, my thesis this morning is, is that we have Because of the living hope in our inheritance, we can rejoice, even rejoice in difficulties and trials and sufferings, because these sufferings mature us in faith, deepen our character, and give us a platform from which we can proclaim the gospel of Jesus and encourage our brothers and our sisters. So trials this morning. And these trials are given to shape our character. They do not overwhelm us because we run to the cross. We see the glory of Christ. So trials, difficulties. There's a story told about a great king who lived in Greece whose name was Dionysius. And Dionysius had riches beyond counting. He had all types of people who cooked for him and entertained him with music and he was surrounded by people who said that he was wise and brave and ultimately competent and one of the people that surrounded him and always threw out great compliments and said he was the greatest king that's ever lived supposedly was a man named Damocles and Damocles one day said oh great king I wish that I could just be you for one day and the king said, well, let's do that. And he said, come up here and sit on this golden couch, and he did. And he, Damocles looked out, and he saw male and female servants who met his every need. He saw cooks, and he saw musicians, and he saw incredible wealth, and he saw people in attendance to him, and he said, man, this is great. And then the king said, now, Damocles, look up. And as Damocles looked up, he saw something that only the king sitting on the throne could see because it was hidden by a screen from everyone else, and that was a huge sword suspended from the ceiling by one hair from a horse's mane. And he realized that at any nanosecond, that sword could fall down and pierce his body and kill him. And Damocles, as he lived out that day, he started enjoying it, but then he thought more and more about the sword, and the more he thought about the sword, and the more he thought about how life is just a a, a roll of the dice, and it's a cacophony of nothingness. He he said, I I can't enjoy the food. I can't enjoy the music. I I can't enjoy the entertainment. And Diogenes said, that's exactly right, because of this sword. It became known proverbial as the sword of Damocles. In other words, if you believe that life is just a roll of the dice if it's just impersonal, if there's no rhyme to reason. There's no reason to believe that there is purpose. There's no reason to believe that there's hope. But that's not the way we live. And that's not the people of First Peter were called to live. They were called to live as elect exiles who worship the Lord. There's a poem that became a hymn in the 1800s in it goes something like this. He says, Things that once were wild alarms cannot now disturb my rest. Closed in everlasting arms, pillowed on his loving breast. In other words, the, the things that used to cause me to stay up late at night, the writer says, and, and the things that caused me to sweat profusely or develop ulcers. Don't disturb me now, because now I see a great and glorious triune God who watches over me. And that's what Peter's saying here. He says, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. Or another hymn says, when through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace, all sufficient, shall be thy supply, says the Lord. So life is... A glorious reality that's lived out before the living God. That's why 1 Peter 4, verse 12 says this Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice. Insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Rejoice, be glad. Because God reigns. I'm going to give you four principles from this text and interwove it with with some application. Number one, according to this text, according to Scripture, you and I live in a less than perfect world. And in this less than perfect world, we will experience various trials, which can be translated as pain, sufferings, hardships. It's a multifaceted word. We will experience hardships. There's a wonderful book by C.S. Lewis entitled The Problem of Pain. It's one of his best books, especially chapters 6 and 7. And in that book, Lewis says, the settled happiness that we long for will never be ours this side of heaven. He said, God broadcasts every day joys and happiness and sometimes ecstasy. He gives us many pleasant ends where we can spend the night, but we never mistake these for home. Our Father refreshes us on the journey with some pleasant ends, but will not encourage us to mistake them for home. In other words, Lewis is saying you'll never get back into perfection because you live in a fallen world. Uh, It's it's somewhat embarrassing when I call and order something. We, We moved four years ago. And I call and I order something, and the person says, can you give me your home address? And I'll say, my home address is, and it's Eden Road, E-D-E-N, Eden Road. Uh, Eden, of course, was the paradise in Genesis 1 where there was perfection and no sin and total happiness. And every time I say that, I, I, I laugh and say, I'll never get back to Eden But it does show, I think, there's a desire in our hearts to get back into a place of of, of no pain and incredible settled happiness where there's no trouble. And the issue, the, the Scripture says, you will never, ever, ever get back into Eden. That is called heaven. And so Peter says, you will experience various trials. Now, there's glory, and there's beauty, and there's hope, and there's rejoicing. That's next week. There is a fact that Jesus is the radiance of the Father's glory, according to Hebrews chapter 1. But today, we're dealing with being beset by various trials. Therefore, we'll experience pain and hardship. Point two is that these trials, the Scripture says very clearly, cause distress. They cause sadness. Oftentimes, I'm aware that people don't deal with the dramatic brokenness of our world, that we live in a less than perfect world. And because we live in a less than perfect world, these trials or hardships will cause sadness and distress. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, it says this about we groan. It says, verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning. Together in the pains of childbirth until now, when not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly. So, we groan. How much longer, O oh Lord? Why this, O oh Lord? Why this sickness? Why, why this heartache? Why this broken relationship? Why this general persecution? We, we, we groan. And that's, that's part of our, our human experience. And I've been thinking about this COVID-19 and being sheltered in place. And, and I, I, th- I thought about, about relational distress. And, and there's a man named Gary Smalley who for years spoke volumes to families about a Christian orientation and raising kids. And he was a proponent of camping. Camping. He said, I would encourage you to camp, to get a tent and go out for three or four days and work together and cook together and sleep together and fish together and hike together. He said, it's a great experience, but you'll run the gamut of human emotions. You'll be incredibly upset with people, incredibly loving to people, that there'll be all these emotions. That's, that's part of the experience of being in relationship. He says, if you don't want to camp, just rent a van and drive around your, t- your town for two days nonstop. And I thought about the COVID-19 and being sheltered in place with people and how relational distress, I've heard from many people who say, you know, this is hard. This is really, really hard. You know, we're trying to work from home, and we're trying to become teachers of our children, and we thank God for those who are helping us do that, and, and, and we're trying to do this and trying to do that, and it is just hard. And, 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 and it is because, because the truth is, your roommate is a sinner, and you're a sinner. You're, if you're married, you're married to a sinner. And if you gave birth to children, you gave birth to sinners. And, and so we'll never get back to Eden. And, and trials, relational trials, distress us. And let me encourage you with this. And this COVID-19 shelter in place. And I don't, I don't know the total answer to this, but as I look at Scripture and, and sinfulness of man, we can demand perfection, from our spouse or our friends, and we'll always be disappointed. And oftentimes I think we settle for two lists. So I don't know where, where, the, where the meeting is there, but, 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 but you, you cannot expect perfection from people because we're all groaning. And, and trials bring distress. One of my favorite professors of seminary, maybe my favorite professor, just as somebody that I liked, taught Dean and Carl as well at Southwestern Seminary. His name was Cal Guy. And I had Cal Guy the last few years of his professorship. He was an older man. I worked on his farm with him a couple of days and had a great time. He was just a wonderful person. And one day, he was in his 70s, and he stood up in class, and he said, gentlemen, I want to tell you that I have a problem in my marriage. He said, I've got to tell you the truth. My wife is as mean as a snake. And we all went, oh, my soul. I can't believe you said that. And he said, and I am as mean as two snakes. And we get together. If we don't have something between us, we're going to fight. He says, you know what that is? It's the glorious cross of Jesus. He said, if you take your marriage to the cross of Jesus and you see each other through the lens of the blood of Christ, you'll be okay. And I, I've, I've, never, I've never forgotten that. So, so point two is that, that, that trials will cause distress and sadness, and so we always go to the cross. We, we always take our brokenness to him. The, the third point is this. Peter says, this will last for a little while. He says, even if you've been distressed by various trials for a little while. And so what Peter is saying is, is that these trials will either last for a period of your life, or they may last for the rest of your life. But even if they last, he says, for the rest of your life, they are as a second in light of eternity. And so I look at COVID-19 and I say to you, I say to us uh, that that this will end one day for a little while, It's it's a trial for a little while. Some people have a sickness that will last till they die. But the the, the challenge to us is to see all of life in light of the invisible world and eternity. To see the visible now in light of the eternity to come. To see the visible creation in light of the invisible world and glory around us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says this, we don't lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For the light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. Verse 18. So we do not look to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal so we come to this and they say, we say Lord whether it's a month or a year or a decade help me to realize that this is a little while compared to the glory that is coming and that's hard but it's biblical point number four is that suffering has a purpose he says for a little while So that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is a a tested genuineness. This is to deepen us. Difficulties deepen. Difficulties transform our character. Difficulties wean us from being overly dependent and overly infatuated with the worldly system that is passing away. I, I think of some verses that are just, we use the word counterintuitive a lot, but I think about some verses that are very counterintuitive. And and one is, um, what time is it? Van, what time is it? At what time is it? 10.40. 10 what? 45. Thank you. I can't see my watch. It's 10.41. So we're doing this in time. That should encourage you. Uh, anyway. We use the word counterintuitive uh, a lot. And counterintuitive, um, there's so much in Scripture that's counterintuitive. Let me share James chapter 1 with you. James chapter 1 says this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you encounter trials of multivasted many kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. James says, count it pure joy whenever you encounter trials of of many kinds. And, and, And really, apart from A biblical orientation that sees life through the wonder of the cross, you go right. Or or think of the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, the first three. Jesus says, blessed or happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, happy are those who are broken down by the system around them that discourages and beats them up because they have a taste of heaven to come. And you go, really? And then Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn over their sin and the sin of the world around them and the brokenness. And he says, because as you mourn, you'll be comforted because you'll have God's perspective. And you go, really? Then blessed are the meek. Or happy are the meek. Happy are the humble. Happy are the people that don't push themselves to the head of the line. Happy are, are those who, who are self-effacing. Happy are those who, who lose their lives in order to gain it. Happy are those who rejoice in serving other people. Ha- happy are those who take on the mind of Christ. Happy are, are, are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. And, and you go, yeah, I get it. So the, the fact, suffering, hardship, has a purpose. C.S. Lewis, again, in The Problem of Pain, says this. Pain insists upon being heard. It must be attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts to us in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Lewis says that, you know, you go through life, you have pleasures, and, and they're good. And, and then maybe you have some conviction, and God speaks to our conviction and our conscience. But, but God brings difficulties into our life to keep us from being deaf to his voice. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, one of my favorite writers, was a decorated Russian artillery officer, a man who received an advanced degree in physics before the Second World War. He fought for the Soviet Union. He wrote one line in one letter where he questioned the wisdom of Joseph Stalin. An army censor read the letter. He was arrested and put in a gulag in Siberia for 10 years. And Solzhenitsyn, of course, was bitter and broken down and... Disheartened, he contracted cancer in the gulag. And, but through that whole experience, he came to understand who Christ was, who Christ is. And so he wrote this in a, an incredible book called The Cancer Ward*. He said, bless you prison, bless you for being in my life, for there laying on rotten straw, I came to realize that the object of life is not prosperity, as we are made to believe, but the maturity of the human soul, close quote. And he was able to say, bless you, prison. I I don't know what trials have come into your life. I do know trials from many people, the heartache and the pain. But I do believe that the Bible says that God uses difficulties to build his church, to build his people, even to build marriages and parenting. So that we can say with Sosin Yitzin, I bless you, Lord, for hard times, for difficult times. Martin Luther died in 1546. Late in his life said, there are three things that make a great theologian. Prayer, meditation, prayer being biblical prayer, Bible-saturated praying, seeking of God. And meditation, he said, is pondering the text of Scripture and, and thinking it out loud and, 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 and speaking it and living it and living in the reality of the Scripture. The third thing he said that made a great theologian was a German word that has, has a broad meaning. We translate it pain, uh, trials. Suffering, this very word. And what Luther said is this he said that our sufferings, our pain, wakes up people who are in the process of snoring, and it shows us the greatness and the goodness and the mercy of God. So, so in the midst of these resurrection realities, the Apostle Peter just says, just takes a side road, and he says, Please hear this. Living hope and inheritance next week rejoicing with, with, with great joy. This inexpressible, absolutely. But it says in the midst of all this, realized church in Asia Minor, that's getting ready to go into a time of persecution and hardship, that God uses hard times to build his people and to advance his kingdom. Understand that is what God is about. So we come to this issue of pain and closing. And, and in 1 Peter chapter 4, one response to this is verse 19. Peter says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. It means to continually entrust, continually believe in the goodness of God, continually running to the cross and and saying, Lord, I, I, I trust you. See, another quote from the problem of pain, Lewis says that, that, that pain removes the veil of self-sufficiency and plants the flag of truth within the fortress of the rebel soul. I love that. Pain removes the veil of self-sufficiency. All of us come to places where we say, I, I can't do this or I can't handle this or this is beyond me. And I think that's when the Holy Spirit has the power to, to come in. So, so one response is we look up and we continually entrust and we continually run to the cross and we continually rejoice in the forgiveness of sin and the fact that God watches over us and cares for us. Or, or, or we, we look around Primarily and we expect people to meet our needs or institutions to meet our need or systems to meet our need and 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 we'd long to get back into eden where everything is perfect and glorious and, and so so church trust the lord i for years i've had thoughts about this i, I love history and for, for years i've read about and even read a couple of books about people in the aftermath of World War II who um, were, there's a show on TV now, I haven't seen it, called Nazi Hunters. Is that the show's right? Is that what it's called? Okay. Hunters. Hunters. But they're hunting Nazis, right? Okay. I haven't seen it. Anyway. And... uh, in the aftermath of World War II, they would go to Argentina or Uruguay and they would find these former Nazis who were living under new names and new identity with new passports and they would bring them back to the Bar of Justice, and which is good, fine. But in the last few years, I've read accounts of people who found former Nazi guards living in Michigan, working at the auto plant for years but these these guards are now ninety five and ninety seven and a hundred years old i mean if if you were went to World War two in nineteen forty one today you're ninety seven ninety five six years old so so and they want to bring them back and put them into a prison in Israel or Germany or austria and i'm and and, and there's something about that that I find incredibly disconcerting and i mean th- these are old people and, and yet In your heart of hearts, if you believe the only justice, the only bar of justice is in a court in this world, then you can be consumed with that. Whether it's justice or whatever, else, you can be consumed with that. And there's something incredibly sorrowful about people who are still hunting down 95 and 97, 98-year-old former guards from Treblinka or, or, or Auschwitz or Dachau and bringing them to the bar of justice. Because I believe, the Bible teaches, we believe that there is a judge who will judge justly and his name is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And and the good news is that while all of us deserve judgment, there is one who has died on the cross for our sins so that justice is fully satisfied and his name is Jesus. And not only that, but he's given us the Holy Spirit. And not only that, but he watches over us. And because of that, we can say, that when hardships come, we're going to continually entrust ourselves to the one that we saying about earlier who says those wounds yet beautified above and glory can be seen. Those, those wounds beautified above. You can see the wounds of Jesus in heaven today. So, be glad in the goodness of the Lord and continually entrust yourself. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for today and just the chance to worship, the privilege on the Lord's day, to worship in a time and a situation that is very, very different. So show us your greatness and your glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Show us the mercy and grandeur of Christ. Show us the forgiveness of sin and the hope of heaven. Lord, I pray for people among us, many of whom are are, are under difficulties, burying loved ones, cancer, heart disease. All of these things have happened even in the last few weeks. Oh, God, give them the grace to trust you. Give, give them the grace to continually entrust themselves to a great and glorious shepherding Christ. Um, we thank you that, that you are God and King and that you use situations to build and strengthen and to give us a platform from which we can proclaim Jesus is Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.